Okay, you guys, no matter if you're training for something big or you're just trying to get lean and stay healthy, your body requires a lot of protein. In fact, around one gram per pound of body weight. Now, cooking whole foods is best, but I'm going to be honest, sometimes I need help hitting my protein count with clean, on-the-go nutrition that works for both myself and my family. But that is a lot harder than it sounds. I've been searching for months to find a super clean, affordable protein powder that actually tastes good has a full amino acid profile, and doesn't upset my stomach. Finally, I found Equip Foods Prime Protein. And seriously, you guys, I am hooked. Prime Protein has over 2,000 five-star reviews because there's no junk, fillers, or additives ever. Equip's unflavored grass-fed beef isolate protein powder has only one ingredient. All of their flavors taste amazing. Vanilla happens to be my favorite. They mix well. They can be added to countless low-carbon keto recipes. You can make a quick shake with just one scoop and get a 21-gram protein instantly. You guys, that's like eating four ounces of steak. Every single batch of Prime Protein is certified non-GMO and is free of glyphosate and heavy metals. If you need a delicious, easy-to-use, easy-to-digest, clean protein powder, seriously, you guys need to check out Equip. You can save 15% off with my code DRFIT, D-R-F-I-T, at equipfoods.com. And by the way, every single bag comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. No questions asked. to the Fit and Fabulous podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Jamie, and welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. It's so lovely to have you here today. I have a really special guest. I'm excited. I mean, I get excited about most episodes, but I feel like this podcast has been a long time coming. You guys know how much I love Redmond Real Salt. For you uh, YouTube people, you can see it right here. This is my favorite kind. I'm a kosher girl not a fine salt girl because I like the crunch in this Redmond Real Salt. But today's guest, he's near and dear to the Redmond Real Salt mine, and he is going to spill all of his knowledge on us about salt and everything you've ever wondered about it. Um, His name is Daryl Bouchart, and he is passionate about healthy living, healthy eating, lifelong learning. Daryl grew up working for the family mineral business in Redmond, Utah. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree at Southern Utah University, followed by an MBA at Western Governors University, and he is still hanging out with our Real Salt crew all the time. Daryl, welcome to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Dr. Jamie, thanks for having me. I know some of your listeners are probably thinking salt is boring. How could we talk for 30 minutes or so on salt? And uh, But I think salt's one of the most fascinating topics that we could talk about. So I'm glad you'd have me on to, to talk about salt today. Okay, Daryl, first I want you uh, to take us back and give us a little bit of the history of, of the Redmond Real Salt Mine and, uh, and Real Salt, because I, a lot of my followers love this product, but they probably have no clue about the, the history of it. Well, when people hear uh, salt in Utah, they think of the Great Salt Lake, and rightly so. Great Salt Lake's a big dead sea here in Utah. Most people don't know that two hours south of the Great Salt Lake, there's an ancient seabed, and it just so happened that in the 1950s, my grandfather and his brother had a farm here in this rural central Utah town. And just north of their farm and just south of their farm, there was a little outcropping of salt, that the Native Americans had harvested long before the settlers came into the valley. And so during World War II, my grandpa worked for a company in California called McDonnell Douglas. It was a, it's an aircraft manufacturing company, started out as a riveter and then became a business manager. And that's where he worked during World War II. And his brother was actually a miner at the big copper mine here in Utah called Kennecott. It's a massive copper mine. So after the war, the two brothers wanted to move back and raise their kids near each other on their grandpa's farm. And so they did that. But in the 1950s here in Utah, there was a pretty bad drought. 
and the farm wasn't doing that well. And they knew there was salt north and south of their farm. And so they thought, you know, with the mining experience from my grandpa's brother and my, my grandpa's business experience at uh, McDonnell Douglas, they decided to go into the salt business. And so they got a loan and they dug right down in the middle of their farm and hit this salt deposit initially sold it for farmers because every animal needs access to salt and they started selling it for roads because salt does keep the ice off the roads here in Utah. And, uh, and then in the 1970s, when the health food movement kind of started to really build momentum is when we moved into the, uh, the food salt side of things. So that's kind of the short version of, of how this salt uh, mine in, in Utah got started. And you still work for Redmond today? Yeah, the company's a lot bigger uh, than the two brothers that started it back in the 1950s. Uh, there's about 500 um, team members now at Redmond across a few different industries. And uh, it's not just my family that's uh, involved anymore. It's a lot bigger than that. But a lot of the original family still still is involved because we, we love the culture and, and we just enjoy what we do. So. Which is, you know, that's really cool to see because so many people build a business and sell it and step back from it. And to see somebody like you that literally has a, a blood lineage to, to the people that happen to just own this land. Um, how did they know that the salt was underneath there? That's my question. Yeah. So great question. So when the early settlers uh, in the mid and late 1800s started sell, settling Utah, the Native American tribes had moved on. There wasn't any um, Native American activity right there, but they could see spots where the both the Native Americans as well as the local deer and and uh, you know other animals were like accessing the ground. <laughs> exactly. And so there's these two little outcroppings. And so those were just north and south of their farm. So they figured the deposit had to go under their farm because there were these two outcroppings. And so they got a steel rod and they pounded it down through the uh, alfalfa to see where that salt came closest to the surface. And it just so happened that that salt peak was about 30 feet from the surface of the farm, which is probably why the, the farm wasn't doing all that well as well because of all the salt in so the soil under the there. farm. Yeah. And so geologically, um, geologists say that this deposit is part of a Jurassic Age seabed. So long before, this is like when Pangaea, the supercontinent, is pulling apart, there was an, a big, massive inland sea called the Sun Dance Sea. And the sea flooded down through the Arctic, and it left a shallow you know, body of salt water that then evaporated. And this sea flooded um, many times in that mid-Jurassic. So by late Jurassic, there's this ancient seabed. Utah was at sea level at the time before mm. the the, the uh, Colorado Plateau was pushed up. And when that happened, the seabed that was, you know, down at sea level is now buckled and pushed to the surface. So the strata of the deposit as you have you been to the mine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four, five years ago, four or five years ago. Yeah. So the strata runs vertical. Um, yeah. A sedimentary deposit, it should be laid this way, but it's been pushed and buckled. It's about a quarter mile wide, about three miles long, and about 5,000 feet deep in this dome. Wow. Um, and geologists say this is 150 to 250 million years ago that this salt was created. And now that the Wasatch Mountains have all been pushed up, this inland sea was was pushed up and solidified. And so... Yeah, just right under their farm was this, just right, right in the middle, uh, pretty serendipitously right under their farm was this ancient seabed. And initially, like I said before, we were selling it mostly for for livestock. Um, if you think back in the 1950s, everybody was eating white flour, white sugar, uh, processed foods. And so this salt that had this flecked uh, pink color, the family thought, well, nobody's going to want to buy this dirty salt because yeah. it doesn't look like the stark white, you know, salt and the stark white flour and the stark white sugar. 
And so we ate it as a family because we were cheap um, at the time. And then in the 1970s, there was this nutritionist that came through Utah and, you know, he was probably getting a tour, saw the Grand Canyon and whatever. And as he came through, he got a tour of the salt mine and we didn't think much of it. And then he goes back to California, writes this article and publishes it to all of these health food stores. And so we started getting phone calls from the health food stores across the country saying, hey, there's this article that says the healthiest, tastiest, mineral rich salt in the world is your salt. And we said, great, do you want it for your cows? And they said, no, we actually want it in our health food our stores. <laughs> and, and we used it ourselves as a family, but we thought, man, it's it's inferior because it, it doesn't look stark white. And they, yeah. they explained to us, no, the, the minerals are essential and the fact that it doesn't have all of these anti-caking agents added, doesn't have the chemicals added, it hasn't been stripped of some of the minerals, we want it for our for our health food store. I'm dumping salt all over my table for you YouTube people. Oh, he's got a better, he's got a big chunk of salt, but you can see like these little brown flecks in here. So tell people what is, what's the color? Why is there, what are these, what are these colors that people think is like, ooh, that's not white salt? Well, in nature, salt should look like a snowflake. You know, if you went and saw a, an apple tree in your backyard and every single apple looked exactly uniform like that, pretty apple on you know snow white you would know that something has been changed or that something is wrong because no two apples on the same apple tree should be identical and if all the apples are right. identical that's going to tell you something so when you take your salt and you dump it in your hand whether it's coming from the the current ocean like the san francisco bay the gulf of mexico the mediterranean it's coming from an ancient seabed like the the Himalayan deposit or the real salt deposit, every one of those crystals should look different and unique. So if we were to go back and, and saw how our ancestors would harvest salt, they're going to get it from one of two ways. So the first way people know that the ocean waters are, are salt based. They have oh, yeah. in them and salt it has <laughs> other important minerals. I mean, the reason that, that seaweed and seafood is rich in iodine is because there is iodine in the ocean water. And that's why if you want a good iodine food source, kelp, dulse, um, you know, seafood is rich in iodine. So our ancestors would have taken salt out of the ocean. Salt in the ocean occurs at about two to 3% so, uh, salt. And then, you know, water and other things like that. And so what our ancestors would have done is they would have taken the salt from the ocean, pulled it into a clay lined pond. And if this pond is lined with the gray clay, if, if you don't line the pond, it's going to just go back in the sand and the water disappears. So if you line the pond with the gray clay, you bring the salt water in, you let the hot Mediterranean air start to evaporate the deposit. It goes from 2% to 3 to 4 to 5 at 26%, salt is at max salinity, meaning the salt water can't hold any more. And so the salt will start to fall out of suspension onto the bottom out. of the pond. And then if you take a rake and you rake up that beautiful salt crystal and you've done it in a gray clay lined pond, you're gonna get a nice gray salt like the French gray. And that gray is coming from the clay that's lining the pond. If you do the same thing in Hawaii with the Hawaiian red clay, you'll get a, a red clay salt or a red salt, the Hawaiian salt. And so, but when you do that, all of the minerals in the salt water settle off together. And then you also get some of the minerals that are, that are settling off into that clay lined pond. The other way to do that is from an ancient seabed. It's the same process, but it happened eons ago. And so these deposits, there's the Himalayan deposit that occurs in Pakistan and creeps up in Nepal. There's another deposit very similar in Bolivia. It has this Bolivian pink salt. And there's this deposit in Utah from this, this ancient prehistoric seabed. And when all of that salt settles off together with all the other you know, you've got the seabed, you've got some volcanic activity, you've got the, the clays. This, this crystal salt here is produced the same way as the salt from the coast of Brittany, France. It just happened, you know, long before we had, you know, any of the challenges that our oceans have today. And so the color, whether it's coming from the French gray salt, whether it's coming from the Himalayan or the real salt deposit, 
that color is these other trace minerals and elements that occur naturally with the salt. Potassium, calcium, magnesium, those are the top three, which makes sense because those are the, after sodium, the key electrolytes that our bodies need. Um, and then it's in these other minerals and trace amounts, iodine, selenium, zinc, in, in trace and ultra trace levels. So I've always heard, you know, sea salt, Celtic salt, Himalayan salt, these are like better, healthier salts. And you just said there were some like health food stores that were like, we want real salt. So why is it different than standard table salt that we find at most restaurants and most people's kitchens? It's a great question. So there's really two things you need to be aware of. And the first is uh, salt companies around the turn of the century realized that seawater occurs with potassium chloride, calcium chloride, magnesium chloride, and then some of these other trace elements. You know, before you and I had a refrigerator, we probably would have eaten more salt because everything we ate outside of season would have had to have been preserved with salt, be it kimchi, sauerkraut, fermented veggies, jerkies, meats, we would have used salt to preserve all of that. And so, but around the turn of the century, salt companies realized that they could take that seawater that has sodium chloride, has potassium chloride, has calcium chloride, and they could use a different liner and they could pull the seawater off into a settling pond, use a different membrane and pull off the potassium chloride. Then they can move the water to the next pond and leach out the calcium chloride. Then they can move it to the next pond and pull out the magnesium chloride. Now, once you get those top three, the other trace elements are not really economical to remove. But because, you know, potassium chloride is very valuable, magnesium chloride is valuable, so is potassium chloride, calcium chloride. You know, as a salt producer, we could take off those other key electrolytes, sell them into different industries, and then still have the the salt left over. Similar, if, you know, if we were citrus farmers and you and I came up with this really cool way that we could take an, an orange or a grapefruit, extract all the vitamin C or even just the ascorbic acid, which is part of that vitamin C complex, if we could pull that out and sell it as a supplement and then still sell the orange or the, the grapefruit, I mean, we're geniuses. Um, except nobody really asks, should we do that? We can do that, but should we do that? And I would suggest, no, if you're going to sell an orange, you ought to sell it the way nature created the orange. And if you're going to sell salt, you ought to sell it the way nature created salt. And so that's the first thing is salt companies today, many will, will extract those other valuable electrolytes first. The bigger challenge, that, that's a problem, but, but salt was never meant to be a source of magnesium. And, and we should eat magnesium. We need to go out of our way to add good food sources of potassium, um, which many people probably, they're not eating enough greens and they're not eating enough healthy foods. And so many people don't eat enough foods rich in potassium. But salt was never meant to be the source of potassium, but it, it was always meant to have some in it. So the second challenge, which, which I think is a, even a bigger issue, is salt, um, and I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but you know, salt's job in the body is to help regulate intercellular and extracellular fluids. Um, because of the way the sodium potassium pump works, it helps flush the cells. Our tears are salt, our sweat is salt, our urine is salt. Um, and even if we drink distilled water every day, we're still gonna cry and sweat and urinate salt water because salt is how the body cleans and flushes its system, which is why when you go to the hospital, you don't get an IV of distilled water that'd kill you. You need an IV of, of salt because the body's saline solution in motion. And so because of that, salt's job is to regulate and interact with moisture. Because of that, if I put this salt crystal on the table in Florida on a really humid day or in Chicago on a really rainy day, this salt is going to suck water out of the air. It's actually hygroscopic, meaning it, it acts like a dehumidifier. And, and on a humid area, you'll actually get a pool of, of water under the salt crystal. And if I hold that for a while, my hands will start feeling sweaty because it's pulling the water out of my hands because salt's job is to interact with moisture. The problem with that is if you put salt in a shaker and it's especially if it's fine, this shaker, if the lid's off, is now going to start 
pulling salt out of the air into the shaker and it's going to get a little clumpy, uh, mm -hmm. sticky. And, and so to get it to pour out of the shaker, I'll have to tap it on my hand. You know, our grandmothers in a humid area, they may have put rice in the shaker to help. Yeah, I've seen you know, that. Like when you're in Florida, all the, all the salt shakers have rice in them. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, but these scientists got together and said, what could we do to coat this crystal? These little crystals in the shaker, what could we coat those with to stop its ability to interact with moisture? Because if that crystal doesn't interact with moisture, then it, on a rainy day, when it's really humid, the salt will pour out of the shaker. And so this marketing campaign with the little girl and the umbrella, when it, when it rains, it pours. And she's walking on the rainy day and the salt's trickling out of the shaker. It's because these scientists found a list of chemicals that they could coat the crystal with to stop its ability to interact with moisture. And, and these chemicals aren't nice chemicals. Um, things like sodium silicoaluminate or sodium ferrocyanide. These, these chemicals, tricalcium phosphate, they're, they're chemicals that we should not eat. Um, and we sh certainly wouldn't want to put them on our eggs in the morning or on our tomato at night because these, these, these chemicals their whole job is to stop the salt's ability to interact with moisture when in the body, our bodies need salt to help us interact with moisture. And so the biggest difference on salts is if salt's created the way nature created it, it should, every crystal should look unique. If, if you dump your crystal, your salt on your hand and every crystal looks beady and uniform, or if you turn the ingredient label over and you see a whole list of ingredients on your salt, that'd be a good indication. Even if it says sea salt, you know, years ago, back in the you know 60s or 70s, sea salt on the label probably meant it might have been healthier, but sea salt means nothing. And so I tell people all the time, hey, don't look at the front of the label. It doesn't matter if it says sea salt, table salt, natural salt, um, whatever look at the back of the label because if mm -hmm. it has any ingredients you know there's oftentimes you'll see dextrose you'll see sodium silicoaluminate you'll see yellow preciative soda you'll see sodium ferrocyanide anytime there's an ingredient label on the salt that's an indication that, that salt has been coated or treated and it's not going to interact in the body in the same way Makes sense, you guys and I've told you this that's why I use Redmond real salt so the ingredient says ancient sea salt and um, if it just says sea salt, Dale, right, it could be coming from an ocean and our oceans have microplastics. They could be using other chemicals in it. And then I get asked all the time about the mineral profile of real salt. And you can go to the real salt website and they have a, a mineral analysis, but it has iodine in it, correct? Yeah. You know, no discussion on salt would be complete without a discussion on iodine. I'm sure as you see in your practice, most people, especially women, are iodine deficient and we need iodine. When, when iodine deficiency shows up, there's, there's tumors, there's reproductive issues, um, all kinds of, of problems, one of which is goiter. And so the only reason that we now associate salt with iodine is going back to World War I. In World War One, the draft was started. This is, you know, 1918, 1919. Um, they start the draft. And when they started the draft, they noticed that men out of the Midwest had a big goiter problem. And it was more common in the Midwest. And you think about the Midwest in that time, people are eating a lot of processed foods, eating out of cans. In the Midwest, you're not getting hardly any seafood. And so that's why it shows up more in the Midwest eating processed flour, processed salt, processed sugar, um, and not a lot of fresh foods or even, you know, fresh seafood particularly. So the government sat down and said, okay, we need to solve this problem. We can't have men drafted if they have a big goiter, which is an iodine deficiency, one of the symptoms of iodine deficiency. I would hope that somebody suggested, hey, let's have a campaign about the importance of eating foods from the ocean, you know, seafood, uh, kelp, dulse, um, fish. And you're too I don't optimistic, <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> what they came up with, they said, okay, what can we add? You know, some municipalities today 
will add fluoride to the water. It's a completely different discussion, right. but to, to force fluoride consumption, they will add it to the water supply. And so they said, what can we add iodine to, to force iodine consumption? Now, iodine, as you know, if you've ever you know, gotten an IV is purple. Um, and so if you add iodine to water, it changes the flavor, it changes the taste, changes the look. Nobody wanted to have iodized water. It's not that I've done it before. It's not that great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they tried to add it to flour because everybody was eating flour and it didn't work. It wasn't, it wasn't stable and it turns your flour purple. And so they said, what form of iodine can we use and what can we put it in to make it stable? And they found they could take potassium iodide and they could add it to salt because everybody has to eat salt to live. They came up with a ruling that says, okay, from here on forward, the FDA said, if a salt company does not add potassium iodide to their salt, they have to put a warning that says this salt does not supply iodide a necessary nutrient. Even though salt was never meant to be a source of iodine any more than salt's supposed to be a source of fat or carbs or protein. But yeah. that's why that is on there. Interestingly enough, natural salt has about 10%, uh, give or take, of the daily recommended allowance of iodine, which is about 150 micrograms for adults. This has around between 10 and 15, so about 10%. In iodized salt, it's for a quarter teaspoon, it's 45%. Now, what's interesting is Dr. David Brownstein out of the Midwest wrote a book uh, called Salt, Your Way to Health. And then he wrote another book called Iodine, Why You Need It, Why You Can't Live Without It. And in this, they did this study on iodine consumption versus iodine in the serum levels. And what they found was when you add iodine to some foods, you actually get a boost in iodine uptake, meaning there's some synergistic things happening in the body that release more iodine from other foods. When you add iodine as in the form of potassium iodide to salt, you actually get less than 10% bioavailability of the iodine when it's, when it's potassium iodide added to iodized salt. So, I mean, the good news was that it solved the problem. And if the only access to any iodine that you have is iodized salt, then you're probably, it would probably be good to use iodized salt if, if that was your only choice. You know, fortunately, most of us have a grocery store and we can get foods that are rich in iodine in a lot better forms than out of a processed, you know, salt shaker. Um, but if that's all you had, you know, it did solve the problem. And so I'm not saying that, the, that there's no place for it. It's just that in a society where we have abundant foods, rich in iodine and great iodine supplements and natural salt that also has iodine in it, those are much better alternatives than this processed salt. You know, it used to be, um, if you look at the shaker of a lot of salts, it'll have dextrose as an ingredient. Yeah, I've seen it. And, and we used to say for any of the Mary Poppins fans out there, you know, just a spoonful of sugar helps the nasty salt go down um, in the most delightful way. But it's not actually it's not they don't put dextrose in the salt to make it sweet, although dextrose is sugar. They use it as a stabilizer because once you add all these other chemicals and potassium iodide to the salt, the salt will start to age. Salt shouldn't age. Salt should last forever because it's been around forever. But once you start adding these other chemicals to salt, the dextrose, if you see dextrose in your salt, it's because they need that as a stabilizer to stop the salt from turning colors because of the other chemicals that have been added to the shaker. And so dextrose on your salt shaker is a key indicator that you should use that salt to make, you know, Play-Doh or make a craft project, but I certainly wouldn't put it on my, my breakfast. It's just so wild to think of all the different products that we consume and how there's all this extra stuff. And I've seen the stuff on social media where some of these things are like banned in other countries. And it just makes you wonder like why we're allowed to continue to cons like it, why our government and health agencies and people like think it's okay to, you know, take these things in. And we have such a problem 
in our world. People are so unhealthy and there's so much chronic disease that we're battling right now as physicians. And one thing that gets attacked a lot is salt and sodium. So give us your take. I know you're not a doctor, Daryl, but give us your take when people are like, salt's bad for you. Got to cut salt out. Don't be, don't be putting the the real salt in your hand and eating it like (laughs) Dr. Jamie. (laughs) What, What, what's, why are people vilifying salt so much? Well, I, I think you're probably more qualified to, to give the technical answer, but I do think it's kind of interesting because, you know, if, if I go to the hospital for almost any reason, even if I have high blood pressure, you know, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to give me an IV of saline solution, which is salt water. Now, salt it's water. going to help balance my electrolytes. It'll also open a port. So if something goes wrong and they have to, you know, give me something, it's nice to have that IV there for that quick access. But this the the whole idea that salt's bad it's kind of like the whole idea that fat's bad for a while there all of us were under this impression that all fat was bad and then people tried to you know cut all fat out and they realized wow you know fat is really essential um it's essential for our brains our eyes you know we need omega 3s 6 9s and and salt back in the 1950s there was an article um, and I'm not sure if you've ever read this before, but it was 1954 and the article says evidence for relationship between sodium chloride intake and human essential hypertension. And this study, they knew that salt's job was to interact with moisture and help regulate those fluids. And so they took salt water and they injected mice at these massive amounts of salt, not balanced, just salt. And what they found yeah. was at high amounts of salt without the other electrolytes and fluids, sure enough, it's a problem. Just like if we were to to stop eating salt and if we drank distilled water at a high amount, as we're running outside, it won't take a long time before hyponatremia starts to set in. And we see this with military camps where these young men will end up dying or passing out, dropping, and they're drinking plenty of water, but they're not getting those electrolytes, our electrolyte, the electric current that keeps our bodies going. And so this 1954 study although it was misconceived and and set up in a way that we would never set up a medical study today, that one study in 1954 rippled through and still ripples forward today, where in medical school, we learn the importance of, you know, salt and electrolytes and potassium, magnesium, calcium, and even chloride, kind of this forgotten nutrient. And yet, we know that. I mean, everybody that's gone to medical school knows the importance of saline and salt and electrolytes and lactated ringers and bags of saline. And yet in the same breath, we'll then say, well, salt's bad. Well, it, it's not the salt. If we were to take this processed salt with you know, you know, sodium chloride but that we've stripped the other minerals and then we add sodium silicoaluminate, uh, tricalcium phosphate, um, sodium ferrocyanide, dextrose, put that in a bottle and give that as an IV, that's very different from a bag of lactated ringers or very yeah. different from a bag of normal saline. And then to complicate that, salt is a very cheap and very effective preservative. And so it's this twofold problem. Now we take this food that we probably shouldn't define as food and it has a longer shelf life than you and I do because we're taking this bad food that's demineralized processed. We put copious amounts of this processed demineralized um, coated non-ability to interact with moisture salt on this food that we shouldn't be eating to start with. And so if somebody's eating out of boxes and cans, they probably are getting more salt than they need because they're getting this poor food with this poor preservative. Yet if they start eating more natural, they're actually going to have to go out of their way to add good, clean, healthy salt to their diet, which is what every civilization did before we got into this, you know, processed food, industrialized yeah. Um, I mean, I completely, you were, you know, literally just telling us that the Indians used to, you know, harvest the salt to cure their foods and things like that. So obviously salt's been around for a really long time, but chronic disease has really been, you know, a huge problem skyrocketing since the 1980s. And what did we do? You're exactly right. We started making processed shelf stable foods that are highly palatable. They're, they have 
low quality fats, and most of them are very high in carbohydrates or sugar. And for my listeners, you guys know when you eat carbohydrates, it requires a hormone called insulin. One of insulin's job is reabsorption of sodium and the distal nephron of the kidney. So when you're consuming large amounts of carbs and sugar and salt at the same time, it leads to inflammation and it leads to hypertension. Our body has the ability to get rid of sodium and potassium and these types of things in our kidneys. That's what our kidneys job is, but it doesn't have a special source of it. And so we do need to consume it on a regular basis. But if you're consuming low quality, highly processed foods that just have a lot of sodium in them, our bodies want a specific ratio of sodium and potassium. So Daryl was kind of explaining at the you know beginning of the podcast about this salt being hygroscopic, that water, uh, we have sodium inside the cells and potassium outside the cells. And that's what kind of decides where the fluid should go in and out. But if you're consuming a ton of sodium and not enough potassium, potassium deficiency is another reason people can have hypertension or high blood pressure. So you're consuming a lot of salt um, without the potassium, which is why I like Redmond Relight because it has a two to one ratio of sodium and potassium. So when you're using it for that hydration aspect and not just for like flavoring and, and salting your foods, but this does have a little bit of potassium too. But that's why I think salt has been vilified because our food is so low quality and we do put salt in it to make it shelf stable. And if you consume, you're exactly right, Daryl, a lot of bags and boxes and jars and things like that, there probably is a lot of carbs, a lot of sugar, and a lot of sodium in there. Um, But for people that don't do that, that are eating real whole foods and they're not eating all that processed garbage, you can actually consume quite a bit of salt and your kidneys will get rid of what it doesn't need and it will regulate it. Um, And you you do need to be consuming the right type of salt. Like Daryl has highlighted so many times, it's just crazy to think the number of chemicals um, thinking about my childhood, <laughs> I mean, 30 years of PTSD. No, um, it's just wild. Like what is in our, our food system? It's just crazy. And I think, um, you know, too, we have kind of forgotten to listen to our body's cravings. You know, if you look at animals, you know, they're really smart. Um, when they're thirsty, they drink water. You know, most of us, we get busy, we're at the office and we don't have time to, we don't think we have time to stop and drink. And so we go way longer. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> well, and my wife, you know, she, you know, she has about, about the bladder the size of a bird. And so, you know, she doesn't want to go to the bathroom all the time. And so she'll not drink enough water. Um, and, and our bodies, our bodies need to, to, I need that. And so one of the interesting things about salt is a lot of people, they think they're craving sugar um, because we've just gotten used to sugar. But if you take a, you know, your kosher crystals, or I have the coarse size here in my little dish here. Oh, I love um, coarse, but I've, I'll deal with kosher. And if you put a little bit in your mouth with, with good, clean salt, it'll taste sweet initially. Now, if I you were it. to do that four or five times, eventually it's going to start tasting extra salty. But when, because most of us are sodium deficient, because we've heard salt's bad, we're trying to eat a healthier diet, salt, good, clean salt will actually taste sweet. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody's trying to start, maybe they'd want to do a little fast or they're just, you know, trying to wean themselves off sugar by having a salt crystal, <laughs> you could, yep. You, you can know, you lick can lick it, it um, or just have the crystals there. When you think you're craving that candy bar or the sweet snack, put a little salt under your tongue. And it's amazing how satisfying that is. And if you're you going and maybe you're going to try to move a little more keto or you're trying to just do a fast to kind of cleanse and reset the system, good, clean salt and water is a great way to help you get over that that sugar craving. Well, and people might watch you lick that big salt lick. If you guys, if you're just listening, you can't see Daryl had this giant crystal of salt from the mine and he's like literally licking it at his desk and people might look at that and say like, ew, uh, and then you're just going to set that salt back down in your desk, but salt is very antibacterial. And so nothing can, bacteria can't grow on that big chunk of salt that Daryl has, which is why in medicine, he talked about how we give saline through an IV but what else do we do? We tell people to do saline rinses in their mouth, in their nose, saline nasal sprays. It reduces allergies. It reduces your risk of infections during flu and viral season. So it's good to put a little salt in your mouth, swish it around, swallow it, put it up your nose, <laughs> you know, do it in the right concentrations. But 
salt is really good for, for our body in that way. There's a lot of these sayings that we have we have brought in from from years ago. You know, one of them is put salt in your wound or don't put salt in the wound. Don't put salt and in if, the wound. If you've ever heard that, it's because it burns. But the whole idea of that was because in Roman times, all of the military would take salt with them everywhere. In fact, Romans were actually paid in salt. Um, and the term it salary. Like a, it was like gold. It was like a, yeah. And the term salary is saline and based on that idea. And many people have heard the old saying, is a man worth his salt? And that that name became, that, that phrase became popular because if you were getting paid in salt and you weren't earning your keep, you weren't working hard enough, then you weren't worth your salt. And so every civilization since the dawn of time was started around access to the salt deposits. It was essential for life. It was essential for trade. It was essential for food preservation. And it was this, this, I mean, in, in order of importance, we have oxygen, you know, if oxygen were sucked out of the room, we would know real quick that that's the most important thing. And then water um, is going to keep us alive. And after that, it's salt because those three things is, is really what keeps us alive. And then food would come in after that. But oxygen and then water and then salt and yet we hear salt's bad but it's in order of importance it's the third thing on the list that's going to keep us alive um let's go back to the i i was fascinated as a kid watching the little shows like how things are made so i had the most glorious time you guys going to the redmond mine and then going into their production facilities and like watching all these little bottles get filled with salt but tell people because you make you know, animal salt, equine salt, you make road salt, you've got real salt. Is all that coming from the same area of the mine? What's the difference? Yeah. So it's, it's from the same deposit. Um, but in, in the, in culinary and in the, the, the food and drug world, salt for food has to be 97% sodium and chloride. And in the mine, we have sections like this piece here that would be about 97%. This is actually more pink than it looks on the screen. But, And then we have some that are 94% that have more minerals. And so the higher the mineral content, we use that for our industrial and the agricultural side. And then we target areas in the mine that have this 97 to 98% for for the food or for the culinary, culinary side of the business. And you could... Another question we often get is, well, what does it take to, to process or sort it or, or what do you do to it? Well, you can yeah. take this crystal and you could do our entire process with a hammer or your Vitamix and a screen. Uh, and all we do is we take this crystal, we crush it up, and then we screen it out to different sizes on a stainless steel uh, screen. And so if it's a little larger crystal, we use that for the, we call it coarse, or it's the size you might put in a pepper grinder to grind your own salt. The next size down is kosher. Kosher is kind of interesting because in, in food, everybody has heard of, you know, koshering, um, or you'll see on a food, uh, on a label, it'll have a little star K or an OU. In, in Judaism, According to the Torah, there's only certain foods that are approved for the Jewish community, and certain foods have to be prepared in a certain way to meet this Jewish law of health. And in the Torah, that's called kosher, or it's uh, clean for the Jewish community. And so rabbis will attend, will will visit food production facilities to make sure the food is handled in a way that makes it safe or approved for the Jewish law of health. And so any food that can be kosher certified, you might buy a box of cereal or you might buy a, a loaf of bread and it'll have a symbol that says this is approved for the Jewish community. Now in salt, there's two meanings of kosher. So this is fine salt, about the size you'd put on the table side. The red lid is what we call kosher salt. Now, if you look at the back of your label, you're going to see a little, it's right by the nutritional panel, a little OU symbol. Um, and that little OU stands for the Orthodox Union. And so that is a Jewish agency that comes through the facility like a health inspector. And they will make sure we don't have any bacon or, or cloven animals or we're yep. washing our hands. 
And that's what gives you that OU. Now, in Judaism, blood is not kosher. And so if you wanted a piece of meat, you have to suck the blood out of the meat before you can prepare it or it's not kosher. And a larger, flatter crystal of salt will suck the blood out of meat faster than a finer salt mm. crystal without making it overly salty. So anytime you see that larger, what we call kosher size salt, that's kosher size salt because of the Torah. And I, over time, I like it on my eggs. I think it's good to eat it. <laughs> and, and it has a nice little crunch. If you've ever it had does. a margarita, the, the rim of a margarita will have kosher size salt because it dissolves uh, smoother on the tongue than a finer salt crystal. If you've had a pretzel, um, that larger salt crystal is kosher salt. If you've had edamame at a Japanese restaurant, they'll use the kosher salt because that larger flake will dissolve softer on the tongue because you have less surface area exposed to the taste buds. If you were to put a, you know, the old Jolly Rancher candies in your mouth, that's a hard tack candy, your tongue is only touching the outside surface of the candy. If you were to pulverize that into confectioner sugar and you put all of that in your mouth at once, oh, it, it would, it would right. be way overly sugar and salt's the same way. So the finer the salt crystal, the stronger the flavor. And so if you were going to make popcorn, we have a very fine powdery salt that's even finer than your table sized salt. It's like confectioner sugar, but it's salt. And to dust that on popcorn, or if you're going to maybe do some sprouted almonds, that larger or that finer crystal will give you that burst of flavor that you wouldn't get with the kosher. It's a smoother, softer flavor. So anyway, little that's uh, geek for salt, but <laughs> I love I love it. I love hearing this stuff. Tell people what other products uh, Redmond has besides just plain old salt, fine salt, kosher salt, coarse salt. So one of the fun things about salt, because it's hygroscopic, it absorbs uh, smell and moisture. So we do a, a smoked salt where you actually take the salt, you put it in an actual smoker. And if the salt crystals are a little wet and the smoke is nice and thick, the salt crystals will absorb the smoke. And so if you like, if you like that smoke flavor, you can do salt that has that smoked hickory or smoked uh, cherry, and you can put it on, you know, vegetables or on any type of, you know, meat, and you get that smoky salt flavor. We do the same thing with uh, organic freeze-dried spices. You know, a lot of seasoning salts today have MSG as a flavor enhancer because the salt's a little bitter, and so they'll add flavor enhancers. But because our salt's naturally sweet, and we'll only use freeze-dried organic uh, herbs and spices. We don't have any of those uh, flavor enhancers in the seasoning. So we do a garlic, an onion, a seasoning blend, um, some tacos, some steak seasonings. And then I was so excited when you guys came out with taco seasoning. <laughs> like, how big of a bucket will you sell me? <laughs> Um, and it's it's just fun. Um, salt, because it's the basis of everything, we can do a lot of fun things with it. And then um, we have some other products as well. I used to you know, give a presentations at schools a lot. And I would say, look, you know, especially for you moms out there, you're going down to the soccer matches and you don't want to give them the pink and the artificial colors and the flavors and all the sports drinks. And you can make your own at home by taking a, a quart of good, clean water a quarter teaspoon of real salt, a squeeze of lemon. If you want to add some fig syrup or some honey for a little sweetener, you can do that. But just a, a quart of clean water, quarter teaspoon of salt, squeeze a lemon. That's the best sports drink for pennies on the dollar. Um, but because that's not always convenient, we do have our relight that you mentioned before. It um, The advantage is it's super easy. And then we also add some additional potassium because most people don't eat enough foods rich in potassium. So we add a little potassium magnesium um, to that uh, relight that you can then you know use as an electrolyte replacer. Love that. Love that. And um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say, you guys, I was just with the Redmond team and there's some new products coming. Well, I guess they did share there's a brine kit coming, hopefully in time for Thanksgiving, where you can brine your turkeys and your chickens. Yeah, we're all crossing our fingers that it, that they can make it that fast. Um, but my kids, um, I was telling uh, Chef Sean, like two of my kids like the Relight. One of them's like a little skeptical. She's not into like, we got to water hers down a little bit, but I think there's some kids flavors in the pipeline. 
Um, but let's be real. Us adults can drink them too. Um, well, and one of the fun things, you know, speaking about kids, um, and I'm kind of a kid at heart. I, I do a lot of biking. I love to. I love mountain biking. I love uh, road biking. And one of my favorite snacks um, as a kid, I remember everybody had these little fun dips, right? You had this like sugar stick, and you dip it in straight sugar. And but yeah. you can do your own fun dip at home by slicing an apple and then dipping it in the powdered relight. And it yeah. is, it's delightful. It's a great snack for the kids. And you know, there's no guilt and you've got the sweet um, apple with that little savory relight. It's a great, you know, natural fun dip that you can have when you're, you know, out at the park or watching a movie and you want a snack, just, you know, apples and relight dip. I love that. Yeah. This summer we tried the watermelon slices with a little bit of relight. We use like lemon lime and watermelon lime and, uh, that was, that was really delicious too. My grandmother used to salt her watermelon. So it was uh, a fun way for the kids to get a few electrolytes in, in that hot summer. Um, well, Daryl, if people are interested in more information about everything we've talked, what are some good salt resources, places people could get more information? So there's a few great books that I really like. Um, if you like the history side of salt that we talked about today, there's a book called Salt, A World History. It's an excellent book. goes into the history of salt from the earliest records of mankind up to present. Um, talks about how it was used as salary and wages and how it was used for food preservation. If you're a salt geek, Salt, A World History is a fascinating read. Um, from the natural or the health side, there's a great book by Dr. James D. Nicolantonio. Um, and we've had him on the podcast. If you guys, it was like way back at the beginning of the podcast, but you can go back and find his episode too. An excellent, excellent uh, author. Um, one of my favorite books on salt is called Salt, Your Way to Health by Dr. David Brownstein. If you go back a few years before, there was a really interesting book by Dr. Batman Gelly. His book was called Your Body's Many Cries for Water. And he wrote a follow-up that you're not sick, you're thirsty, and talked about how, especially at that time, this was back, you know, probably more 60s, 70s, how people were just not aware of them not drinking. And so everybody was walking around super dehydrated. When that happens, digestion goes, nerves, communication systems in the body, um, you know, hydration is so important and yet often overlooked. And uh, anytime you're drinking enough water and you're eating natural foods, you've got to be finding a good, clean, natural salt to add to that. I love that. Yep. You guys today for the semen analysis, you heard it best here from Daryl Bouchard. Stop eating crappy foods. Start eating real salt. If you guys are interested in getting any of their products, you can go to redmond.life. You can find them on social media and um, you can always use my discount code, Dr. Fit, D-R-F-I-T to get discounts on your products. Um, we have been real salt lovers for a really long time. Like I said, we've visited the mine. Um, but the most important thing that I want you guys to know is I work with a lot of companies and Redmond is the real deal. These are some of the nicest humans I've ever worked with. They're doing it the right way. We had a chance to go spend some time at their leadership retreat with their employees and what they invest in their employees is incredible. And obviously it pays off dividends for for the business. You guys have had a lot of a lot of success and I am so happy to be one of your supporters. So if you guys are listening and you liked this information, if you got something out of it, you want to share it with your friends and family, we depend on all of you to share these messages around the world. So go ahead and like, share, comment. Daryl, thank you for coming on the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Dr. Jamie, thanks for having me. Appreciate you letting me uh, tell the story about salt. Did you guys love that last episode of the Fit and Fabulous podcast? Well, of course you did. And I want to keep bringing you the most amazing content from the most incredible people. And you can help me by subscribing to the Dr. Fit and Fabulous channel. You guys know where the button is. Just click it. It's the doctor's orders.